putting on the Ritz.
Good morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. Aren't you glad that we have the love of God this morning? I'm glad I have the love of God this morning or I wouldn't have made it this morning. Amen. <laughs> it's for the love of God that woke me up this morning and got me started on my way. Amen. This morning, if you will, let's go to the Lord in prayer before we start the lesson this morning. Father, we just thank you for this day that you have given us. God, I just ask you that you would anoint me to bring the words of this lesson to your people this morning. God, I ask that you would anoint those that are here, that are listening in-house. God, that you would anoint the ones that are listening by live stream. Lord, I just ask you this morning you would have your way in Sunday school. And Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. This morning, as we get started on our lesson, we're going to be talking of grace. I'm thankful for grace. And the emphasis on this lesson is God's grace makes it possible to know the love of Christ. The golden text is found in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 19. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Growing up, my mama always told me I needed to pray for wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. And I always thought, why does she always tell me that? I didn't understand it, but I would pray it because she'd tell me to. But I understand why now. Because if we didn't have that wisdom, if we didn't have that knowledge, and we didn't have that understanding, we could not go through day because by God's grace have the wisdom and the knowledge and the understanding to go through the things that the devil tries to throw our way. Amen? But if we look at today's world, we see that there's many inventions that have brought efficiency, it's brought luxury, and it perhaps has brought misery to our lives. Computer technology has gotten to the point that you can just about put anything on a computer and even though you think you have deleted it, it can be found again. Even though you think you've gotten rid of it and nobody can find it, it can be found again. So even though all of this technology and even though the computers are so high and, you know, I've always said they're good when they work, <laughs> and that's like uh, I have technology right here that I've uh, typed out the Sunday school lesson on and it's good when it works it's good when I can see it but sometimes I have to get just right because that light hits the screen and it you know glares sometimes and I have to get just right to be able to see it but there's one thing that if you look to, there's never a cloudy vision. Amen? You can always see if you look at the Word of God, and if you follow the Word of God, it doesn't cloud your vision. But there's a lot of things that we have seen that has come along in technology. But no matter how many changes has come our way through science or through technology, through the history, nothing, nothing is incomparable to the change that Jesus affected to us by his coming. Amen? His first coming, it made everything possible. His first coming let us know, and it reminds us, the church is immeasurable more than buildings where believers gather to fellowship in Christ. The church is a spiritual organism which lives and breathes through Christ's spirit and it binds us all together through his love. And Paul was a chosen vessel by God. He was chosen to reveal the mystery of the church to his fellow believers and to generations that were to come. And let's look at our text this morning. It's in Ephesians chapter 3, and it's going to be starting at verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, 
assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. See how wonderful technology is. <laughs> but Paul begins this paragraph here by linking it with a discussion that he had previously had in chapter 2 of Ephesians where he talks about the Gentiles and the Jews and how they can become one through the Holy Spirit. He writes for this cause or for this reason. He reintroduces himself, but he gives a new element here, than something that he's never done before. And he tells everyone that he is now a prisoner of Jesus Christ. In this place, in this epistle, we find here that Paul is in Rome, and he is placed in a hired house where he is chained to a Roman guard. He does not have the freedom to go where he wants to go. He cannot go and come back. He has to stay exactly where he's at, and he's chained to a guard. And it's not that long of a chain. No matter where, if he even has to go take care of certain business, that guard's right there with him. That guard never leaves his side, and he calls himself that he is a prisoner of Jesus. He did not see himself a prisoner of Nero, but he received him, perceived himself as a prisoner of Jesus. But for whatever purpose, for whatever reason, that the Lord wanted him to be in prison at this time. He does not have pity on himself, nor does he have any idea of being a victim of the prison. But it was for a noble cause that Paul sees himself as a captive of Christ for the cause of the salvation of the Gentiles. How many of us could be like Paul? How many of us could be thrown in prison falsely and say, it's for the work of God. It's for the kingdom of God. Paul saw what was going on, and Paul knew it was going to be for God's glory. But how many of us could be that way? And he even said it was going to be for the Gentiles. Back then, the Jews looked upon the Gentiles as a foreigner, as a rejected um, society, so to speak. They did not care for the Gentiles. But aren't you glad that we've been grafted in? Aren't you glad that Jesus gave us a blood transfusion so that we can become his child, so that we can become his chosen, just as the Jews did? But Paul did not question why God had placed him in prison. He did not even blame the Lord for placing him where he was. But instead, he knew that the Lord was in control. It is the grace that enabled Paul to fulfill his calling as an apostle to the Gentiles. We need to make sure we stay under grace because we can't operate if we get outside of grace. We can't do what we need to do for the calling of God if we get out of grace. You need to stay in the grace. Like I say many times, you need to stay under the anointing because if you don't stay under the anointing, you cannot do the call that God has placed on your life. And you may say, well, Sister Amanda, I'm not called to preach. I'm not called to teach. I'm just called to come in and sit on the pew. I want to tell you something. Just sitting on the pew is not what you're called to. You're called to worship Him. You're called to praise Him. You're called to lift His name up on high. And you got to realize that we're all called, not just one or two, but we're all called to give praises to God. Amen? But Paul came to understand the truth of God's gospel. And a lot of times, this is something that a lot of people have questioned what really and truly was meant by God's gospel, the mystery of the gospel as it's been called many times. But he understood by revelation he had while he was on the road to Damascus. You see, Paul was a murderer. He had killed many of God's children. He had slaughtered the Jews. But God had a call on his life. 
that shows you that no matter what your past is, God still uses you. Amen? It don't matter how bad you were, the grace of God will save you. The blood of Jesus will wash you clean. Amen? And he had a call on his life. And when he was on the road to Damascus, he had a revelation. And God showed him the mystery of the gospel. God let him know that he was called to the Gentiles. Because at this time, the disciples were just talking with the Jews. They didn't realize they were supposed to go out and talk to others as well. And the Lord showed Paul that he was also supposed to go and start speaking to the Gentiles. Because they were going to be incorporated into God's kingdom they were going to now become one body the Jews and the Gentiles I'm reminded of a young man from India named Sundar Singh he wrote that after hearing some missionaries preach he felt a great spiritual distress within himself that night unable to sleep he prayed Oh God, if there is a God, reveal yourself to me. Suddenly, a bright light shone in the room where he lay. He expected to see Buddha or Krishna to appear before him. But instead, Jesus appeared. After this marvelous revelation that Sundar Singh had, he knew God was there and he dedicated himself to Christ. Can you imagine you've been raised in a culture that they believed in a little golden God called Buddha? Or they believed in Krishna and you're sitting there and you're praying to your gods. But all of a sudden a bright light comes in the room and you expect to see this Buddha and this Krishna that you've been taught, taught so many times throughout your childhood. But instead you see a man called Jesus. A lot of us take it for granted. A lot of us, and especially in America, we take for granted the man called Jesus. We take for granted what Jesus done for us. But Sundar saw Jesus standing before him, and he immediately knew that he needed to dedicate himself to Christ. And he became one of the great missionaries among his people. If I asked you something this morning, it would be what way should every believer be a prisoner for Christ? You are either a prisoner to Nero, so to speak. In other words, anxiety, fear, finances, family problems. You can be a prisoner to all of that or either you can be a prisoner of Jesus Christ where you know that no matter what Jesus is in control amen let's look at Ephesians chapter 3 verses 5 through 6 which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit this mystery as that the Gentiles are fellow heirs members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The Holy Spirit here has now entrusted to us this same mystery. The same thing he called Paul to go out and to bring in the Gentiles. He has gave us that same calling. We are to go out and bring them in. It's not called per se Gentiles anymore. It is all of God's creation we are to bring them in it represents the ones that do not know Jesus as their personal savior but we find in verse 6 that Paul states the content of this mystery first he says that they are co-heirs in Romans 8 17 Paul speaks of believers being co-heirs with Christ Gentiles are co-inheritors of the kingdom along with the Jews. It's not just the Jews that will receive the kingdom of heaven. Aren't you glad for that? We also are entitled to receive that promise to where we will go to heaven as well. Secondly, 
He said they're co-members. We're of the same body of Christ. It's not separate bodies. It's not separate categories. I one time, one time heard someone say there's several different, different levels of heaven. And it depends on how, now get me, it depends on how good you are, what level you go to. I want to tell you something. <laughs> I serve a God that there is no one greater. We are all equal under his eyes. I serve a God that sent his son to die on the cross. And it don't matter whether you're good or not. You better make sure you are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Or you won't walk through those gates. Amen. He then said that they are partakers of of this promise there was a promise that was made a covenant that was made with Abraham for his children for the Jews but here Christ is saying the Gentiles they're no longer foreigners but they are also my children they are also partakers of this covenant that I have made let's look on at Ephesians verse chapter 3 verses 7 through 10 of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This union that Christ was speaking about to come between the Jews and the Gentiles in one body was so astonishing to all who saw it because then the Gentiles was considered a low class. But God was saying they're going to be one. And he gave a gospel that it was to accept all who believe. And Paul became a servant of that gospel. He had the revelation that if you believed on the Lord and you will be saved. He had that revelation. It didn't matter what your bloodline was. You was God's child if you accepted that salvation. So not through any ambition or qualification of Paul, but solely through the gift of his calling from God was he able to do what he done. He recognizes the intervention that he literally was transformed from that enemy of Christ to that friend of Christ. It was an act of divine omnipotence. In other words, it was that great power of God that literally picked up Paul where he was and it changed him. It's time that we are picked up and changed. Amen. It's time we're taken. Excuse me. The devil is a liar this morning. It's time we're picked up from the road that we're going down that's the wrong way that's what was wrong with Paul he was headed down the wrong road and it's time we're picked up from that wrong road and we give ourselves to Christ so that we can work for the kingdom of God but Paul had all humility because he said I am the least of all saints he didn't hold himself up because of all the work that he had done for God from this point. But he said, I'm the least of all saints, but I have been made somebody through God's power. If you realize that it's not by your might nor by your power, but it's by his spirit, by his grace, by his power that we are made somebody, you'll go a whole lot further. Amen. But he was, Paul was able to proclaim among the Gentiles the unsearchable and the untraceable riches of Christ. Paul's commission was that he was supposed to go out and he was supposed to announce the good news of Christ. What better time than right now for the church to stand up in this time that looks bleak and to say God is God. 
He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And even though it looks dark outside, he'll bring light. Amen. It's time we stand up and we do like Paul with that great commission and tell the power of Jesus. But in verses 8 and 9, how does Paul describe his calling? He had that humility. It was made very evident when he said what he did, that he was the lowest of all saints. And he could only be made possible by the cross through the grace that came to him from Christ. He was bringing light to something that had been hidden. That the cross was God's plan since the beginning of time. When God started creation, he knew at that moment that he was going to have a son that would be placed on a cross. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 11 through 13. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is for your glory. Paul continues his discussion here by making again Christ the central message of the cross. It is not you. You are not the center. The center is the cross. The center is God. And I know I think I say this every time I get up here. But just like the banner says, it's not about us. It's all about Him. And when you put yourself in the center and you take the cross out, your message is null and void. Because you're not, you're not the center. You're not the message. The message is Jesus. The message is the cross. And we need to have the boldness. We need to have the confidence to approach God. We also need to have that boldness and that confidence to approach others to let them know. But there was two significant truths here that Paul noted. And first was, Paul says God's eternal purpose is accomplished in Christ. Christ is the central. There is no other means or hope of salvation outside of Jesus. Now, I could call the name, but I'm not going to. There is a minister right now on TV. And I watched it for myself. I don't take what people say without watching it for myself. I went to this minister's website, and I pulled it up myself. And they were doing communion. And he literally takes a knife off of the pulpit and he cuts his hand. And he puts it over what is the wine that's supposed to represent the blood of Jesus, which they had poured grape juice in a cup. And he put it over that juice and started dropping his blood into that juice. And he said, I can't be saved unless I mix my blood with his blood. Your blood does nothing. Your blood does not save you. There's not but one blood that saves us, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ. There's not but one blood that will set us free, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ. He then took that cup, and he drank that cup. In front of his church and online, he drank that cup with his own blood in it. Right then and there, he then performed a satanic ritual. Because when you drink your own blood, that's a satanic ritual. And he right then and there performed a satanic ritual with the blood of Jesus Christ. A representation of the blood of Jesus Christ. But it's time we realize you, yourself... It's not the central. The only central of the message is Jesus. The only central of the message is that Christ died for our sins. He is the only way, the only way to get into heaven and that we need to trust him fully. Paul then concludes this section with an exhortation to his readers not to faint or literally lose heart or to be discouraged because of his tribulations or his sufferings which he sustained while in prison. 
But he gives them two reasons. First, his sufferings or tribulations were for the benefits of the Ephesians. And then second, his sufferings were their glory. Can you imagine you go through so much that you look at somebody and say, I suffered for you. I went through the tribulation that I went through for you. There's one person that can, and that's Jesus. Jesus can say, I went through the suffering for you. He can show us the scars in his hands and on his feet and on his side and on his back and his head because he went through that suffering. Paul's captivity caused some in the early church to doubt that he was an apostle for Christ because they doubted why would Christ, God, allow him to be in this situation. Some of the apostate Jews used his situation to cast doubt on whether he was called truly or not, whether he was a true apostle. And so many of us see someone who calls themselves a child of God go through a great ordeal, something that can be very negative. We see them going through things and we tend to, As a human, we tend to judge them falsely. We assume that because they're going through such an ordeal, through a battle, that they must have done something wrong. When a lot of times, it's just the opposite. Because a lot of times, when you are doing something right, the devil wants to stop you. Amen, Pastor? When you're doing something right, the devil wants to try to stop you. When you're working for the kingdom of God, the devil wants to try to put something in your way. We have a tendency, though, that we look through the human eyes and we see what's happening, but instead we don't understand what's going on. We need to have the love of God. Amen? Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. For this reason... I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Paul has wrote a lot since verse 1, but then here in verses 14 and 15, he picks his prayer back up, and he begins the prayer with an attitude of reverence, of deep reverence, and of confidence. He uses the word before. Before is a preposition that means I'm face to face. I'm having an intimate relationship. And he addresses God as the Father. Because through Christ, we now have had access with the Father. The Father is the one after whom the whole family is named. We are named from the Father. But why did Paul kneel before the Father? Because he was bowing to the will of God. It's time we bow before God. It's time we bow to that will. And instead of trying to live our own will, but we realize we need to be in the will of God. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 16 through 19. It reads that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul asked God that God will endow his readers, the Ephesians, or even us as we read the Bible, that he will endow us with spiritual blessings, that he'll give us an extravagant scale as a result of us taking Christ to be in our hearts. In this prayer, Paul made three major requests. He first said that the Ephesians will be strengthened through the Spirit in their inner selves. Well, Sister Amanda, what good does that do me? Because he said, my readers. 
and we are reading it as well. So that's letting us know Paul back then even prayed that we would have strength through the Spirit. Paul's desire to see the believers become vigorous Christians was effective because of their quality of the strength that we get from the energizing Spirit of God. Secondly, Paul prays that as the Ephesians are strengthened, they will be enabled to comprehend or grasp in the company with the whole church. No matter what the denominations are, no matter what, no matter where you come from, no matter who you are, that we can join together in Christ and have that understanding that we are all God's children. Paul's desires to see Christians who understand their identity. I spoke on that Wednesday night. I said it's time we learn who we are. It's time we grasp a hold of our identity in Christ. And one thing we need to remember is that Christ made us worthy. When we feel all hope is gone, and we don't know who we are, it's time we realize that Christ is who made us worthy. I am worthy through the blood of Christ. And that's what Paul was desiring, that Christians would begin to see and understand their identity in Christ. Because once you understand that, there is such a knowledge that will come upon you that will result in stability as you do this work for God. Something I want to really embrace with this morning and for you to grab a hold of is that the love of Christ is too large to be confined by any geometrical measurements. It is wide enough to reach the whole world and beyond. It is long enough to stretch from eternity to eternity. It is high enough to raise both Gentiles and Jews to heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It is deep enough to rescue people from sin's degradation and even from the grip of Satan himself. The love of Christ is the love he has for the church as a united body and for those who trust him as individuals. The love of Christ, if it wasn't for the love of Christ, we would not be here today. If it wasn't for the love of Christ, we would not have been able to breathe this morning when we woke up. But because of Christ's love, we have that power. Paul's third request was that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. That's something I pray about daily, is that I have God's fullness. Is that the ones in this church can experience the fullness of God. We have not yet even begun to grasp the fullness of God. We have not yet even been to the beginning of grasping the anointing of God. Because God longs for us. He loves to be sought after. And sometimes we come in and we sit down and we think of everything that we've went through during the week. And we forget that all we need to do is come in and seek after Christ. He says, seek me first. And we need to seek him because if we seek him first, we'll find that love. We'll find that strength. He literally died for the desire of us. He wanted us. And he yearns for us. He yearns for us to be with him. Looking at Ephesians chapter 3 verses 20 through 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. At the end of this prayer, Paul expressed his conviction that he serves a great God. I would hope that I could go around this room this morning and I could call on you and you could tell me just how great God is. You could tell me just what God has done for you and how he's brought you out of the miry clay or how he has saved your life from some sickness. 
I would hope that I could go around this room and I would have each and every one of you tell me the goodness and the greatness of God. But that's what Paul was expressing, that he served a great God and that glory is due to God in the church. It's due to Christ because of him dying for us. The glory belongs in the church because we are Christ's body. It belongs to Christ Jesus because he is the head and the one through whom his community came into being, through whom the church came into being. And we can only depend on him. We can't depend on anyone else. The only depending we can look, the only one we can depend on and the only one we can look to is Christ. But both the church and Christ will bring God glory. We need to bring him glory throughout all generations. We need to teach our children that there is glory in God. We have forgot about how to be reverence in the church. Someone's up here teaching or someone's up here preaching and there's commotion going on. There's people walking in and out of the sanctuary. There's kids in the back hollering and running. I'm not saying this church. I'm saying in general, churches have forgot how to have glory and how to have reverence for God. We have forgot that we come through the doors and we worship Christ. We have forgot how we are to come in. And yes, you, I, I know I've heard a lot of people say, leave everything outside and come in to the church. Don't bring your problems in the church. No, that's the wrong thing. I want you to bring your problems into the church. Because when you bring your problems into the church, you then have the access to come and give your problems to God at the altar. The churches have forgot what an altar call is. We have forgot to tell the people you can have freedom in Christ. We have forgot to tell people there is an altar you need to come to. That altar will give you the grace from God. That is what we're taught. This lesson is, it's upon the grace. And there's grace at his altar. We need to find that grace again. But to have that grace, we need to teach that we have to have reverence for the Spirit. We have forgot to have reverence for the Spirit to the point that we, I believe, in not having that reverence, that we stop the moving of the Holy Spirit a lot of times. Because when you have commotion going on, people get their mind off of the lesson or get their mind off of the Word of God that's being read. And they forget they need to praise God. It's time we come into the house of God to do one and one thing only, and that's to praise Him. We can't get through life without Him. I can't go on without Him. I touched on it a little Wednesday night. I went through depression. I was bedridden because the depression was so strong. I didn't want to get up. I couldn't hold my head up. I didn't have enough strength. But it's the grace of God that took me through that depression. It's the grace of God that set me free. And Christ made that way before we couldn't go to the Father. The priest had to go, was the only one that was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. And even then, it was very sacred. They tied a rope around the priest's ankles because if they didn't hear the bells ring at the bottom of his robe, they knew he was dead. Now, can you imagine if we had a doorway right up a wall that was right here in front of the altar? And then went from the floor all the way up to the ceiling. And we came in and we sat down in the pews. But then Pastor Andy was the only one that was able to walk through that door right there and come into this being the Holy of Holies. He would stand up there and he would hear all of our sins and all of our problems. And then he would walk into the Holy of Holies and he would give them before God. But say something happened through that week and he sinned before God and he didn't ask God to forgive him, then when we didn't hear the bells anymore on his suit, we'd pull him back out. 
what we got to realize is our God is great. That he sent his only begotten son. That when he died on Calvary, that wall was torn from the top to the bottom. That way it represented that it was not done by man. Because man would have started from the bottom and went up. But God started from the top and went down. And he tore that veil so that it gave us the authority to go into the Holy of Holies. It gave us that grace to go through what we are sometimes put up against. The snares that we are put up against. And if I close this morning, it would be that the mystery would be made known, that was made known to Paul, would be made known to us. That we realize we have that spiritual blessings, that spiritual blessings that God spoke upon Jews, that promise that God spoke to the Jews, that covenant that we have it as well, that we are fellow heirs and we are fellow members of the body and fellow partakers. We have that promise. From every nation, no matter where you're at. From any race, no matter what race you come from. But as long as you put your faith in Christ, we are equal partners with any believer. We are one with each other because we have the grace of God. And to finish this lesson, I know it's a little bit early, but you know me, I get going and I talk naughty to nothing. <laughs> But to finish this lesson, I would ask you one question. And I would leave you with this question. And that question is, how are you bringing glory to Jesus Christ in your daily life? How are you bringing Him the glory? How are you making sure that in your life, when people look upon you, they see the glory of God? I ask that you would ask yourself that question daily. I ask that you would make sure that one way or another that God is receiving the glory in your life and that God is the central of your glory. Father, I ask you this morning that there was a word given, God, that would resound in everyone's hearts and ears this morning. God, that would help them get through this week. Father, I give you the glory and the praise that you so deserve this morning. I ask that you would be with us as we transition into worship service, Father, that your anointing would come in in a mighty way. Father, I ask that you would show up and that you would show out this morning, that your Holy Spirit would literally come in like a mighty rushing wind through this sanctuary. And Father, we give you the glory and the praise that you so deserve. In Jesus' name, come back and be with us at 11 o'clock. For those of you that are watching by live stream, may God bless you.